and welcome to episode 15 of the About IBD podcast. I'm your host, Amber Tresca. It's 2018. So of course, what am I doing? I'm doing a clip show, a wrap-up of the first 14 episodes of the podcast. I pulled out some really juicy nuggets and put them all together so that you can get a great idea of what the year was like and hear some of the best things that came out of the podcast in 2017. While I was putting together this clip show, it made me think of how when you watch a sitcom and every so often an episode will come on and you'll get about halfway through the episode and all of a sudden you'll say to yourself, oh my gosh, this is a clip show. What the heck? And to me, it always felt a little bit like cheating. Like, why were they doing this? They were just like reusing old things. But I'm here to tell you that creating a wrap-up or a clip show is more difficult, at least in a podcast, than it is in creating a new show entirely from scratch. So that's not crucial that you know that. It's just an observation that I made as I was going along. On this episode, we talk about travel, advocacy, stress, and goal setting. I think you're going to enjoy it even if you have listened to all the previous episodes because you're going to have some great nuggets that perhaps in a first listen didn't make such a complete impact, but now that they're broken out in more discrete, digestible <laughs> chunks, you're going to get more out of it. So I hope you enjoy. I had a blast putting it together. And here we go. In episode two, I got together with several other IBD advocates and we talked about what it was like to tell a boyfriend or a significant other about IBD. And in this clip, Christy Stone of Crony Baloney tells us how it has impacted her life with her husband and how she thinks things could have gone had they actually been more educated about IBD when she first met her husband. We had no idea how slippery it was and that it would sneak into every single crack in our life. Yeah. We can look at every major point in our life and our marriage together, and Crohn's disease plays a part in it. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, I'd like to say that we would still be together, but I don't know that he, knowing all the, because it's been hard on him. Mm -hmm. And he's gone through hard things that I, being heads down about it, and then I complete that task, and then I move forward. Um... I don't know that anyone just sight unseen will meet someone and go, yeah, I'm all about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm on board with this horrible thing that's right. going to happen. And I think I think most people, those of us that are the, the, the six, quote unquote, six spouse, um, like, uh, we wouldn't want it to be reversed. Like, being the right. well spouse is so way helpless. worse. Yes. 
as Christy so rightly points out, everyone deals with IBD in their own way, and that includes our spouses and the other people around us that love us. And I have always said, and I continue to maintain, that I'd much rather be the one in the hospital bed than things be reversed and to be the one who is um, doing the caretaking. I do feel that that's a far more difficult role. Perhaps that's partly because that's not the role that I'm used to. I'm used to being the one that needs the care. As a parent, both of my children have now had surgeries for minor things, but they did involve going under general anesthetic. And that's hands down some of the worst hours of my life waiting in the waiting room for minor procedures that were being done by world-class physicians because I'm very picky about who I let uh, care for my children and add another layer on top of that for anyone who's going to be doing surgery on my children. Even so, extremely difficult and I'm really very uncomfortable with those roles being reversed. In episode four, which is the best episode, if you get that Star Wars joke, then we can be friends. In episode four, I talked to Ryan Stevens of IBD Swimming and Me. Ryan points out how challenging it is for us in a world where we, quite frankly, don't look sick or how people expect sick to look anyway. And that's the thing with, with IBD is that, of course, it's, it's an invisible illness. I mean, you can look at someone. That's the only thing that I think would be beneficial, like with a video like that, like let's shoot to a still of Ryan in the hospital when I was 120 pounds. Because uh, then you get sort of get that visual of, of what really is happening to the person. You know, I was basically wasting away. Again, six foot one, you know, I usually weigh 175, 180 pounds. So I, I literally look like a zombie. Like I usually say, and it's still true that the first two years with, you know, after being diagnosed, I, I literally was just a ghost haunting my life. It was just through all the symptoms, all the different symptoms and the way that it affected my body and the weight loss. And it was just a difficult time. You're right. You can look at someone and say, well, they don't look sick. Like you don't have Crohn's. Give me a break. But you know, you know, the inside of someone, it's, it's completely different. And we need more awareness because it's just unfortunate because someone looks at you and says, well, there's nothing wrong with him. So, you know, why does he need healthcare? Well, I need healthcare because without it, I, you know, I'm not going to make it very, very long. In episode six, I talked to Jamie Weinstein about travel. We talked a lot about air travel, and then we also talked a little bit about travel by car. And she so rightly points out how we have to be in tune with our own bodies and to understand what's going on 
even before things start to get rough. And this is particularly true when we're traveling and certain things are out of our control. So for road trips, I have a rule. And the rule is, listen to your body. If you start to get those warning signs, um, for me in particular, and I mean, I can only speak on my own experience, I will sometimes get warnings for up to an hour before, just the the cramping and the, the weird queasy feeling before an attack were to happen. And that attack could last for five minutes or it could keep going for an hour on and off. But if I start to get those warning cramps and then they go away for 20 minutes, I'm like, okay, good. I'm, you know, they're, they're going to go away. It's few and far between when I get that, that weird crampy feeling and it's no longer there. So one of the, one of the rules that I've finally set in my mind in general is if I start to have that feeling, I'm going to pull over, I'm going to find a restroom or a place that I'm comfortable walking around in and waiting for about 10 to 15 minutes to see if that feeling returns. Because trapping yourself on a highway where, because this happens when you start going through rural parts of Florida and even in New Jersey where I used to live, especially there, um, you could go 20 to 40 miles before the next rest stop and you don't even know if the rest stop is going to be open because they've closed a lot of rest stops up there. And even here, um, our rest stops along I-75 and I-95 are spaced out 20 to 30 miles, I believe. And if you're in a rural area, you don't know if there's going to be an exit to pull off of or if when you pull off of that exit, how many more miles you're going to have to drive before you find a safe place that a safe, safe place to pull off at, not just some rinky-dink, gas station that may or may not have a usable restroom. You want a place that you know is going to be somewhat clean, hopefully, and well-lit, and that there's people around. This particular clip is especially meaningful after a incident that happened to me while trying to take a small, short hour and a half road trip for the holidays. And if you go on my Facebook page about IBD, or if you go to my Instagram about underscore IBD, you'll see the post that I made and the picture that I took of the bathroom that I needed to use. And I explain in the post why it was challenging, first off, because of where we were and the lack of facilities available. And then second of all, the logistics of where this bathroom was in regards to the fact that my husband couldn't see me because I had to go around the corner of the building. There were a lot of people around, as Jamie pointed out, but it did not seem safe. Just because there's people around doesn't mean that something is necessarily safe. And when we think about safe, I think we often think about sort of our personal safety, our security. But when I speak about safe, I also speak about the cleanliness of a facility because while it's not something that's going to be common, it can be unsafe to use a dirty bathroom if you think about it, particularly if you're in a position where you need things to be clean because you're immunocompromised or because you're already dealing with an infection or perhaps you have an open wound. So using a bathroom that's not stocked, that has other people's body fluids in it, 
or other things, you know, you just, I'm not going to stop and analyze what's there. I just try to avoid it and wash my hands and move on. These are the types of things that happen to many of us on a routine basis. And if you go back and, and look at the post, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And yet, this was not the dirtiest bathroom that I've ever used. It was not the most unsafe bathroom that I've ever used. It just so happens that now, in the era that we're in, I have a camera in my hand all of the time, and I have an outlet in order to share what that experience is like. Had I had that 20, 30 years ago, I would probably have hundreds of such pictures. And actually, I've needed to use some facilities that I wouldn't take a picture of it. Um, They were bad enough that it would be really disturbing. And I don't think it would be necessary to take things that far. So that's why it's important that we all advocate for public restroom access and for the Restroom Access Act, which is law in several states, but we need to keep pushing on that because it's not right that just because we have a chronic illness that just so happens to affect our digestive system that we should be forced into unclean and unsafe situations to solve a basic biological need that everyone has. Everyone poops. And thankfully, I didn't have to bring one of my children into this particular bathroom. I think about that, and um, that would make it really a lot worse. And I'll bring things up a little bit with this next clip. This is from episode eight that I did with my husband, Michael Tresca, and we talk a little bit about how that search for bathrooms has impacted how we approach leaving the house and how things have changed for me in terms of leaving the house when I had ulcerative colitis and then leaving the house now when I have a J-pouch. about it sometimes now that I have a J pouch and there's times when I'm ready to go out the door and somebody else has to use the bathroom <laughs> and I'm standing there hey I'm ready to go you, you know and you decide now you have to go to the bathroom you know and it's really funny that I get mildly irritated at that because I know that I did that constantly yeah so like what was that like for you to be the one waiting for me to come out of the bathroom. Uh, if anything, so I'm now that person. So I'm the one who uses the bathroom before you. <laughs> and so I adopted that so significantly. And, and again, this is not necessarily that different than having children who you need to make sure they it's, use yeah, the restroom. The kid, yeah, you may, you, yeah but you go, you're going to leave and you go, do you go to the bathroom? And then they go, no. Well, yeah. I told you five times already. Yeah. You need to go. Now yeah. I got to stand here and wait for you. Right. You know, but that wasn't a concern. The concern for me was always the stress of being near a restroom if you needed it. And the concern that at any time you might need one, we would be somewhere that we couldn't reach one quickly. And that 
was stressful on travel trips particularly. Right. So that was, to me, that it wasn't like being impatient about leaving or anything like that. It was more sort of the ongoing stress of sort of going, wait a minute, we're at Disney, we're on a plane, we're on a train, we're in a car, and you need to use a restroom, and we're in a stretch of driving or whatever that we can't get to one quickly. What do we do? Um, and that's always been that, – that stressed me out more than anything because I felt very insecure until we got to that next location. Um, but it doesn't – it never I, – I get annoyed that you get annoyed now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know. You think I'd have more yeah, A little bit more power if I want to use the restroom before we leave. But, um, but I do think it's uh, – literally, it's funny that you say that though because now I think that's where it started as um, – it was a – drilled into me, we use the restroom before we leave because right. everybody does. Right. Um, and I think I probably just started doing that because, you know, why not? Because I did yeah. it. Yeah. You know. Uh, and, oh, and also, too, very often if we left somewhere, you would use a restroom. So I would go use the restroom as well. Right. So if we were at a department store or wherever, we would go and we would both right. go. So I got into that routine. Right. And once again, we see how... IBD affects our habits and so many of the things that we do. And then it can go so far as to affect the habits of the people that are closest to us, simply because there's aspects of IBD that can take over your life and become a big focus for you, especially when you're flaring or not doing well with your disease. My next clip is from episode 10 that I did with Brooke Abbott of the Crazy Creole Mommy Chronicles. This episode is a very timely one because we talk about advocacy and working with legislators and people in the local and the federal government in order to get laws on the books that will help people with IBD. And Specifically, what I pulled out from this episode, even though the whole thing is quotable and important and something that every advocate and indeed every citizen should listen to, Brooke gave me her IBD elevator speech. This is something that I encourage everyone with IBD or any chronic illness to always have in your back pocket because you never know when you're going to need it. An elevator speech is something that is a one or two minute long talk that you can give when somebody says to you, what's IBD? Or how do you advocate for people with IBD? It's good if you already have that answer ready to go and give it. And it's practiced so that you get everything that you need in that one or two minutes, and that you can give it in the span of a short elevator ride, which is why it's called an elevator speech. I have more information about how you can create your own elevator speech at verywell.com. You can search for elevator speech once you get there, or you can look in the show notes. I will put a link to that article there. I highly encourage that you have one ready. Even if you don't consider yourself an advocate, if you don't take that label to yourself, we are all essentially walking advocates for IBD. And there are so many points in our lives when we have a teachable moment in front of us. And if you're already ready and prepared 
to take advantage of that moment. It will go well, and you will do a lot to advance the understanding of IBD to someone who perhaps doesn't have any current knowledge about it. Can you just tell everybody really quickly um, your elevator speech as far as your IBD goes? Yes, which is very key when you go to advocate. Um, So my elevator speech goes as following. (laughs) Hi, I'm Brooke Abbott. I am a 34-year-old single mother, and I have inflammatory bowel disease. I am now living with a J-pouch. I was diagnosed in 2008 with ulcerative colitis. I had my colon removed in 2012. And I am now living with IBD-AS, possibly psoriasis and trigeminal neuralgia. And I am looking, I'm here today to talk to you about what it's like living with ulcerative colitis and how you can help patients like me have a better quality of life. And that brings us to episode 11 with Dr. Tiffany Taft of Oak Park Behavioral Medicine. And The entire episode was on stress relief, so it was really wonderful, and she provides very concrete steps that you can take to deal with stress. And I know that there's someone listening to this right now who immediately, you know, your hair stood on end because you said stress. My IBD is not caused by stress. Listen to Dr. Taft talk about how our bodies deal with stress and that why we have to use our minds to take control of it and not let it go to the weakest points in our body. And I really work with people on that idea that stress will not affect their IBD because physiologically, every person is susceptible to stress. So when we're in a stressful situation, whether it's positive, like a really exciting event, or what we typically think of as stress as something negative, you know, work pressure, family, you know, strife, or, or whatever is making you feel tense and upset is what we usually think of when we think of stress. But stress in our body and in our brain is processed in the same centers or same parts of the brain, whether it's a positive stress or a negative stress. And we are wired in a way that that, those parts in our brain that manage stress and emotion are wired directly into our digestive system. They also influence our immune system function. So physiologically, it would be very odd for a patient with IBD to not be impacted by stress in some way. That doesn't mean that because I'm stressed out, I'm automatically going to get diarrhea or pain. It can be more insidious than that. It can kind of be working in the background and maybe making it a little bit more difficult for the medications to be doing their job or other things that aren't as readily noticeable. I think people reject stress when it's an implication that the reason you're sick today, the reason you're in pain or you're having a lot of symptoms is because you can't handle your stress. And 
who I would be offended by that if someone said that to me. Um, that's not what we're talking about. We're saying this is the physiology of it, and we really can't turn it off. And so we have to learn how to manage it through these different techniques to bring down that nervous system energy, that, that um, tension in the body, because it goes to the weakest point. And so if I have rheumatoid arthritis, it's going to go to my joints. If I have inflammatory bowel disease, it's going to go to my gut. If I have migraine headaches, it's going to go to my head. And that's how we know stress operates. So um, that's what I tell patients when they come in and they are, are pretty adamant that stress doesn't really play a role. And, you know, they tend to be more receptive to that explanation because it destigmatizes the idea that um, you're doing something wrong to cause your symptoms. And you heard how Dr. Taft described stress and that we tend to think of stress as bad and only coming about from bad events. But stress can also come from good things too. And there's no such thing as a stress-free life. Even if you had everything that you think that you wanted or needed in your life, there would still be some source of stress. What's important is how we cope with it and what we do going forward to make sure that we are dealing with stress in our lives in an effective and healthy way and not adding any unhealthy behaviors to cope with stress. This brings me to episode 13, where I talked to Brian Greenberg of Chronically Better You. And Brian talks about the healthy relationships that he had as a teen and young adult with IBD and how he thinks about stress relief in his life and how it can help him cope with the pain and the challenges of IBD. You know, being an active person with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis and or an ostomy is never easy. Um, and as an adolescent, I almost feel like ignorance is bliss almost. Mm -hmm. And your friends are doing something and you just go do it. Right. And if something happens, you deal with it at that point. Um, luckily, I had a group of friends who I was extremely close with in our neighborhood where whether it be middle school or high school, we always were with each other mm -hmm. before school, during school and after school. And they knew about my disease. So they knew what I was dealing with. And whether we were riding bikes, whether we were playing paintball, which is something that we did a lot of, uh, running around the neighborhood, whatever we were doing, they knew if I said, hey, time out, I need to go take care of something. They were very accepting of it. Mm -hmm. But like I said, ignorance is bliss almost because your adrenaline gets going mm -hmm. and you start doing an activity. And once you start doing something, sometimes getting into that activity and having this moment where you're able to forget about your disease almost allows your mind and body to act differently and not be sick for whatever period of time it lasts for. So now we're understanding about how stress can affect us and how healthy relationships can help us to cope with IBD. 
Once we sort of get on the track with that, we can start thinking about the goals that we're going to set for ourselves. And in episode 14, I talk again with Brian Greenberg, we discuss goal setting and how goals are different for you based on where you are with your disease, where you are in your life, and how my goals are different from his goals are different from your goals. And that's totally fine. I always tell everyone that uh, whether you're doing a half Ironman or whether you're going for a walk after a surgery, it's still a challenge and you have to set your goals accordingly. This whole journey for me actually to become a triathlete, start with a sprint distance, then go to a half Ironman distance. And next year I'm actually taking on the challenge of doing a full Ironman, which my fiance talked me into signing up for (laughs) a few nights ago while she was eating ice cream on the couch. No, but she's doing her own stuff now. She's, no, she's doing. She's done multiple sprints, and she just did her first Olympic distance triathlon. I saw which that. Is incredible. Ugh. She's getting into it, but doing an Olympic distance, a full Ironman is a. It's one hundred and forty point six miles in a day, so it's just it's sixteen hours. It's basically going to be a fifteen hour workout I, I for can't, me. I can't. Um, but it's a lot of patience, and I set up goals for me after my proctectomy to make my ostomy permanent step by step. And I actually did this before my surgery because I knew that the proctectomy was going to be extremely painful. Mm -hmm. I had heard that it's an extremely hard surgery to recover from. And I knew it wasn't going to be an easy time in my life. for my 2017 wrap-up of the first 14 episodes of the About IBD podcast. If this is the first episode that you've ever listened to, now you have a great idea of the type of topics that I have already covered and that I'm going to cover in the future. I hope that inspires you to go back and listen to the other episodes. They're all evergreen. They're all good information that's always going to be helpful to you. My very special thanks to all of my guests throughout this past year as I started the podcast and and built it up. That includes Jamie Weinstein, Christy Stone, Brooke Abbott, Ryan Stevens, Dr. Tiffany Taft, and Brian Greenberg. As always, you can find me everywhere on social media as About IBD. Get in touch. Let me know what you liked. Let me know the type of topics that you might want to hear from in the future. And always remember, I want you to know more about IBD. IBD.